Is Christianity being criminalized? Is trouble headed your way as a Christian? Find out more in today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast 074, podcast 74, where we want to have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective of a complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you, applying God's word to make sense of it all. And at the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. So, Canadian members of Parliament passed Bill C-4 in Canada, banning sexual therapy without debate, deliberation, discussion, or public input. So what? Well, on the surface, it talks about conversion therapy. The bill adds three new criminal code offenses to those already previously included that relate to conversion therapy. It treats with its language in the body of the law conversion therapy on the same level as child pornography or other dangerous forms of abuse, putting it in the same plane or affording the same type of legal intervention in matters of this as they would in protecting the safety of a child being exploited for child pornography. This bill or law was hurried through without much notice or concern in the Canadian House on December 1st and the Canadian Senate on December 7th, a process that usually takes several months. On December 8th, it received royal assent. Canada is connected with the British Commonwealth. So it received royal assent from Queen Elizabeth and was passed into law on January 7th. On January 8th, many concerned Canadian pastors preached against the outcome of this law by preaching on the subject of gender, uh, homosexuality, and sexual immorality. And so what's the big deal? What was the big issue here? Well, the preamble to this bill, Bill C-4, states that the teachings on the Bible on sexuality and gender are defined as myth under Canadian law. And the promotion of sharing of biblical teaching would be a criminal offense because it allegedly causes harm to society. It puts pastors, biblical counselors, and parents at risk of fines and imprisonment if they take an active role in pointing a child away from homosexuality or transgendered ideas toward Christ. Imagine that. Now think about that. Let's say your son or daughter becomes confused based on their education, based on the pressure of classmates about their gender or sexuality, and you take time to talk to them about what the Bible says, maybe you take them to your pastor to see how God sees his creation, and you and the pastor go to jail for propagating harmful myths. So I find it interesting that, uh, you know, these pastors all preached against this and, and really trying to preach the biblical view of sexuality, but I can't imagine, I can't begin to think about how many pastors didn't do that. How many people went along quietly without expressing concern or protest? And I guess it really just kind of speaks to that larger state of the church in Canada and Canada's spiritual health. Well, Mark, I think you're right. Canada is pretty much a post-Christian nation, much like the United States. It's Further down the road, it's very similar to Europe, and our own country isn't far behind, spiritually or legally. In states like California, doing anything less than affirming gender fluidity or sexual orientation is illegal 
for a board-certified Christian counselor working in a counseling center independent of a church. Uh, And this doesn't bode well for the future of Christian counseling in California and probably uh, 20 other states. They are required by law to affirm all gender transition reassignments. Here in our own state, churches and pastors in church ministry uh, have a faith-based exemption, which is bound to be challenged. But Christian counselors who are board-certified psychologists cannot take the biblical route and remain open in their clinics. Yeah, I think we can all kind of see that this is probably just the writing on the wall of what's to come. And so why don't we explore this Canadian law a little bit more, because I'm sure it's going to tell us about what's coming down the line. Sure. Here's the preamble to the law. It pretty much says it all. Listen closely. Whereas conversion therapy causes harm to persons who are subjected to it, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society, because among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. And whereas, in light of those harms, it is important to discourage and denounce the provision of conversion therapy in order to protect the human dignity and equality of all, get that, all Canadians. Now, therefore, Her Majesty, and by the advice and consent of the Senate and House of Commons of Canada, enacts as follows. Right there, you're off to a bad start. Essentially, it is a law that says any teaching that advocates that there are two sexes, two genders, etc., is defined as a myth, a harmful myth, and it has to be denounced and discouraged. Yeah, and I want to point out one other thing in there. You, It mentions conversion therapy, and so I think we need to define what conversion therapy is, or really, I guess the bigger question is, how do they define conversion therapy? Well, it's interesting because when you hear conversion therapy, you're thinking about converting from one religion to another. But what they, they would point to is that somebody is gay, and let's say he's a, a young man. He, he's, you know, he's been taught in school to explore his sexuality, and his parents find out, and they try to help him come to grips with this, that he might not be gay, that he might just be confused, he might go to a, a counselor or to his pastor or whomever, and uh, they would call this conversion therapy, some sort of forced conversion to a worldview or to a gender view that um, they don't like. And they are intentionally vague. Rather than define it outright and document the harm they purport that it causes, they provide a description that is telling when you let it sink in and digest it and absorb it and analyze it. When you look at what is written, this is really a one-way street. And let me explain what I mean by that. It does not prohibit so-called conversion therapy in the other direction. Here's a child going to school. He's told because he might be artistic that he might be a girl in a boy's body or he might be gay. And therefore, they encourage him to think about that. So they are converting him to this other sexual orientation or gender. Now, you have a normal heterosexual child or young adult who's told by their teacher or counselor this might be their issue, and if a parent complains to the local authorities, nothing's going to be done. If the parents take the child to a pastor who affirms that, hey, you know, 
these teachers might not be right, they're going to call this conversion therapy, and it will be prosecuted. And so you see the law is biased in favor of gay and trans activists and who are indoctrinating and pressuring children and students and even adults. But it's, uh, it's not biased. It, it's just not a two-way street. So it's okay to convert them one way, but not the other. And therein, you see the inconsistency. Well, yeah, and I think the other thing that uh, really stands out here is that whole idea of this myth of heterosexuality or... Uh, cisgender or gender normative, what all the words that they used in there. Uh, but it really, it almost says, you know what the Bible says in Genesis 1, when it says God created the male and female, it says that's a myth. That's just something not worth believing. Exactly. It's a myth. It's a superstition that must be quelled. Now, this isn't just a problem for Christianity, but it would be a problem for Orthodox Judaism or people who take Islam seriously. But as is often the case, these other religions will not feel a lot of heat because the scrutiny will be on Christians in Canada. The danger of this law and other laws like it is that it's vague. And it, while the preamble offers no proof or scientific evidence to support the preamble's many whereas statements, these things are just accepted as truth. And the body of the law is sufficiently vague, allowing for lots of latitude and therefore abuse. Theoretically, one sermon on homosexuality could land a pastor in jail for up to five years, and a word or two in the bulletin about the next sermon series on sexuality could add two years to the equation. That, I think that it's all troubling, but I think the other part uh, that we talked about at the beginning, when you talked about the timeline of how quickly this thing made it through the, the houses of, I guess, the Canadian houses of Congress, uh, and it's just really, that's the troubling part as well. They just kind of rammed this thing through without hearing public comment, without getting any input. Uh, and it's just, it's one of those things that we, I think we need to take notice of and be very concerned about. Well, I think that also reveals the totalitarian bent of the left. But here's what you have to realize. When, and in Canada, when you talk about conservatives and liberals or whatever, you, whatever nomenclature we use here, you need to understand that because of where they are in terms of the post-Christian era, uh, there, those labels that we would normally ascribe to this, both, have, both parties, all the major parties subscribe to this because that's where they've been indoctrinated as they have moved further and further away from Christ and Christianity and anything resembling a moral worldview based on objective truth. So don't be surprised that Canada has been in some sort of religious, moral, and uh, cultural freefall for quite some time. I, as I said earlier, they're five to ten years ahead of us in this direction. Still, it's surprising that the bill got through, particularly since it had to pass the Queen of England, and, you know, because England and Scotland are also pretty far down the road, too. But the question you have to think about is, where is the public outcry? Well, I mean, what, what are the parents thinking? And, and really, the number of pastors who protested this are very few relative to the greater number. Yeah, all of these questions are, are out there, and they're really kind of concerning when you see just kind of the general apathy. I think people just sitting back, letting these things happen. And you do ask the question, you know, what are the parents thinking? What are the, what are the everyday citizens of Canada thinking? And really, I think the question is going to become, what are we all thinking? Because this is something that's coming to the United States. Uh, you know, you've heard about, I'm sure, the Equality Act 
you're probably the one who told me about the Equality Act and just how much of a danger it is to what we do and what we believe as Christians uh, here in the United States. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's H.R. 5 in the House of Representatives, and it already passed. It hasn't made it through the Senate. Yeah, I think it's passed uh, two times now, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what it does is it's the American version of this other bill, really, but it's much worse. It revises the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to grant special federal civil right protections to the LGBTQ plus, 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 plus community, giving their values supremacy over everybody else's values, over heterosexuality, over a biblical worldview. All right. So why don't we talk a little bit about what's in that particular law? Sure, and plenty. there's a lot in there, and some of it is, is good-sounding, but as they say, the devil is in the details. The Equality Act would prohibit discrimination based on sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, and, and things like that, and it would affect public accommodations such as uh, convention centers or educational buildings. It would affect federal funding, employment, housing, credit, the jury system, and more. And as Christians, we want everyone to have equal rights, but we already do under the Constitution. But the bill will redefine Christians as haters and certain Christian speech as hate speech. The Equality Act will turn any recognition of the difference between the sexes or any preference for traditional sexual morality into actionable hate speech. It will prohibit an individual from being denied access to shared facilities such as restrooms so men can go in the ladies' rooms, women can go in the men's rooms, things like that that are in accordance with that individual's gender identity at the moment. There's a new standard for discrimination that will be based on one's own subjective gender identity, what one's gender is in one's head. It has nothing to do with biology. It has nothing to do with science. And the Equality Act says that each individual must be treated according to the sex that he or she thinks or feels she is at any moment or face the full force of this punitive law. Christians can and will be targeted for, for criminal prosecution in federal court. The law allows for the Department of Justice to intervene under the idea of equal protection under the 14th Amendment, and people can be sued or prosecuted. It, it puts into law that if you believe biology determines gender, then you're a bigot, or tantamount to being a member of a hate group who must be shut out of society for its destructive and hateful beliefs. And as the one-way conversion therapy is law is in, in Canada, tolerance will be demanded for everyone, everyone's worldview, except the Christian or biblical worldview. And as one writer commented that under this law, Christian doctors and hospitals will be forced to perform sex change operations, gender reassignment operations. Churches would be forced to host gay weddings and to hire and accommodate every possible gender identity, even in the churches. Christian schools will be forced to hire LGBTQ plus teachers and teach LGBTQ plus beliefs and values as normal and God-ordained. Christian businesses will be forced to create designs, artwork, and symbols celebrating lifestyles that they cannot endorse. The government, if you will, will become sort of a morality police like you see in radical Islamic countries, uh, people ready to jump out and defend this at a moment's notice, and government will dictate to churches and other faith-based institutions who they can hire and how their facilities must be used. And you can rest assured that Christian churches and Christian educational institutions will be prosecuted if they don't affirm these particular viewpoints on sexuality 
gender orthodoxy, which, you know, contradict orthodox biblical teaching. They'll lose their tax-exempt status. This, this law also criminalizes and provides for even the eventual prosecution of parents who believe in and teach their children traditional values regarding sex and gender. It'll be treated as child abuse. And like the law that we just discussed in Canada, this bill will, be, will require psychologists and psychiatrists to affirm a child's gender confusion. It's affirmation therapy. You can't say, you know, they used to try to determine whether it was a passing thing or it was a real thing, so to speak, even in the secular realm. Now they can't do that. And they would be forced to provide uh, hormone blockers to help the, the child uh, not go through puberty so that they can later on have surgeries to change their physical appearance. So this Equality Act turns rational discussion and dissent into hate speech punishable by both state and federal governments. And then the Equality Act, or H.R. 5, will impose a totalitarian measure on our country. And, and this bill, I mean, the president made this part of his agenda when he ran for election. And what we have to realize as Christians, in the Bible, we have a revelation made more sure, which settles these moral and biological questions for the Christian. And this is not guesswork. The Bible has spoken to this. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in this law, this, well, really, I guess it's a bill at the moment, but there's so much in there that, that really does sound really concerning. And so... Keith, what do you say to pastors and others who say things like, you know, Jesus never taught on things like gender, biological sex, homosexuality, and the like? What do you say to people who say that the Bible isn't really clear on these kinds of things? Or, you know, it was written so long ago that, that things weren't like that back then, and things are different now, and it, and it needs to change a little bit. Well, actually, Mark, when you hear a professing Christian say something like what you just described, you realize they may have one of three problems. They may profess Christ but don't know Christ. They do not know their Bibles, or they have an emotional blind spot because of a family member or a loved one or something like this. Yeah, I think I would probably agree with with that statement. Uh, and really, number two, I think, is really important. These professing Christians, and like what you said, you know, they don't know their Bible. And so why don't you kind of talk about that, people knowing their Bible and, and the importance there? Sure. And I want to be clear about this. I'm not saying they're bad people. But what you see, particularly with younger Christians who are being subjected to the culture and subjected to media, they have this sort of two-headed mindset. They want to love God, and they think they love their neighbor by affirming these things. But their problem, as I mentioned a moment ago, is a cultural indoctrination through the media, through a corrupted educational establishment, and a variety of other factors, among them not taking the time to know their Bibles, to know the mind of God. I was recently in conversation with a pastor who was teaching young adults, and he, as a test, Google Bible verses on homosexuality. And what do you think happened? Well, I would imagine that Google probably brought up only the websites that were more or less um, probably swayed in a certain direction and, uh, you know, maybe like the more activist type websites that were probably pro-homosexuality, pro-trans, all of those things, um, because Google can kind of show us whatever Google would like to show us. Well, and that's, that's kind of what happened. What he found was is that two out of the first four websites were by homosexual activist organizations who were twisting Bible verses out of context. I did a similar search, for example, on DuckDuckGo.com, and it just simply answered the question. It brought up the Bible verses that pertain to homosexuality from the Bible. But imagine a young teen or a young adult doing the same thing and seeing these verses pop up on Google 
or Yahoo or whatever, and not taking the time to dig deeper because they don't really know their own Bible and they lack the discernment. And so they said, oh, okay, the Bible does affirm these things. That's not good. That's not good at all. All right. As we get closer to wrapping up, maybe kind of turning our attention a little bit from uh, what we saw, and I think we're kind of on that track already, but turning from what we see in Canada with this criminalization of Christianity there and then the attempts to do so here by the Biden administration, uh, the people on the left, and, and the sort. Uh, can you walk us through some key verses that shed light on really ultimately what we as Christians should believe? What does the Bible say about gender identity, homosexuality, and trans-related issues? All right, well, let's start with Jesus, okay? In Matthew 19, 3 through 6, in a conversation about the Pharisees abusing the interpretation of Scripture with the idea of no-fault divorce, we read this. And the Pharisees came up to him and and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Don't miss what's going on here. In discussing divorce, he makes a very strong statement about gender and sexuality. He, he discusses the sanctity of marriage. It's for one man and one woman. He challenges the people he's talking to and says, haven't you read the scriptures? And he who made them in the beginning made them male and female. And so notice that in so doing, a couple of things are going on here. One, he's affirming what we understand from the New Testament as the roles of men and women, as gender identity, as marriage for one man and one woman. But he's also appealing to the Old Testament as his authority. Now, remember who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, God the Son, God in the flesh. And what he's doing here is laying out sex and gender and the design for marriage while appealing to the Old Testament because that was the Bible they had at the time. All right. I think I kind of know where this is headed. And I think when I try to frame up the argument uh, for students that are in our youth group, uh, I'll kind of take the same tack. But why don't uh, you talk about why this appeal to the Old Testament is so important? Why, why is it that Jesus calling back to what was written in Genesis chapter 1 uh, is so important here. Because the Old Testament and the New Testament are both equally Scripture, and Jesus as God is affirming for all time the veracity of the Old Testament. And because of what the Old Testament says in Leviticus 18.22, it says, you shall not lie, that's a euphemism for having sex, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Abomination is a bad thing. In Deuteronomy 22.5, he says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord our God. Now, obviously, this is before the whole sexual, uh, the uh, surgical technology to change sex as people would dress like the other sex before the ability to maim women and children, uh, adults and children, to make them look like another gender. But these principles here have to do with God's design in the beginning, which is what Jesus appeals to and what God has created, what God has instituted, let nobody tamper with it, is what Jesus is saying. And let me close with another passage out of the New Testament. I'm going to do a sermon on this in the weeks ahead, so I'm just going to give a small sampling of passages right now. But 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Those who engage in things outside of God's will without repentance unto salvation will not enter the kingdom of God. And in that list are people who engage in homosexuality and other forms of sexual immorality. But you see there, there's grace. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed when you repented and embraced Christ and you were justified, you were saved. Okay, so what do you say to the people then that would kind of point to this and say, well, yeah, this was really a command for straight people and it's it's condemned if straight people did did these acts of homosexuality and some of these other forms of prostitution, immorality, and such. Well, I'm glad you brought this up. There's always been this popular attempt to play word games that this word pornonia really pornonia speaks to uh, people who engage in prostitution like male temple prostitutes or people who, for the sake of convenience, even though they're, they're not homosexual, they engage in homosexual relationships, they commit adultery that way. This whole ruse is intellectually and exegetically dishonest. It's an attempt to construct an arto- artificial distinction that does not exist. And, and here's how you know that. Because rather than playing games with an individual word, we go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. I'm going to focus on verses 26 and 27. And what you see here is a description of homosexual behavior, homosexual desires and passions. And the the word parnonea never enters into it. It's a description of a behavior that is forbidden. And it says, Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature to their biological gender. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion, desire for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty of their error. So what you have here is a description of the behavior that is clearly homosexual with homosexual, gay male with gay male, lesbian female with lesbian female, and other acts of immorality. Thanks, Keith. I think we've really kind of develop that idea of what the biblical view of sexuality, gender, uh, how the Bible views homosexuality, and all of those things, I think we have a pretty strong foundation there. And so now, really, I guess the question is, what are we to do with that? How do we, you know, stand in the face of this criminalization of, of our faith, really these people codifying in law that our faith is really just a myth? Well, you have a choice to make, basically. Do you support the political parties that affirm these ideas and try to impose them on you and your children and your faith? Do you vote for these people or do you oppose them vigorously? Like the apostles and disciples who were told not to preach Jesus, you've got to decide whether to obey God or men and women who oppose him or would corrupt the minds of your children and others. This is a decision you've all, we've all got to make this is a, we cannot bury our heads in the sand and pretend that this problem was going to go away. Well, that's it for today. Hey, listen, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you'd like further resources, visit us online at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. If you'd like to ask me a question, email me at keith at hillside.org. Uh, visit our church and worship at 8 o'clock on Sunday, 9.30 and 11 a.m. 
This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stifler saying God bless you and God keep you.